Welcome to the Quad Pod, a podcast highlighting life at Baylor School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Inspired by the many converging paths on our campus where faculty, staff, students, alumni, and families meet, we bring you stories from all angles told by many voices. This episode is hosted by me, Liz Cortez, class of 2022. And me, Will Duncan, class of 2022, with studio recording by Jasper Boulay, class of 2022. In a challenging world, it is often difficult to navigate the daily pressures of life. From normal obstacles that most students face every day, like academics, friendships, and social pressures, not to mention the added stressors like COVID-19 and the political unrest in the country. We have a lot on our plates. Here at Baylor, we live by the motto, Amat Victoria Curum, or Victory Loves Care. Fortunately, we have many support structures in place on campus that help to provide the care and preparation that students and faculty sometimes need to navigate these daily pressures. In this episode, we will explore some of these services as well as hear two incredible stories of resilient individuals who overcame unique hardships and forged a path to victory. First, junior Gail Bailey sits down with Kathy Fraley, head of the Counseling Center, to talk about the center's purpose in the community. Next, senior Sheldon McKnight interviews Jennifer Averbeck, director of the Learning Center, about this popular hub for academic support. Then, senior Gaston Carmichael speaks with ultra-marathoner and author Dion Leonard about his life-changing encounter in the Gobi Desert. Finally, senior Holden Williams gets the backstory on Baylor student Hannah Turner and how she overcame a challenging junior year with resolve. And now, episode 12, Amat Victoria Curam. The new year often brings new goals and resolutions. Here's Owen Trainer's report on what Baylor students and faculty are looking to approve upon in 2022. It's become that time of year again. The cold is in the air and everyone is making New Year's resolutions. I know my New Year's resolution was to make better grades. I got to thinking about what others' goals might be, so I set out to find some New Year's resolutions for 2022. Here's what I found. I want to eat a bit healthier this year and try to get better gains in the gym. My New Year's resolution is to get more sleep. Eat out less. Um, probably to sleep more. To cut back on my caffeine intake. To eat healthier and no sodas. I'm going vegan for 21 days. While many were focused on their physical health, others had school on their mind. Uh, my New Year's resolution is to actually do my homework on time and not do it in community time. To study more because I didn't study as much as I needed to last semester. I really want to end my senior year and my Baylor career off on a good note and uh, make a lot of good decisions along the way. Get good grades this semester. Try harder in English. Win a state championship. My New Year's resolution is to become better at golf. Aside from athletic and academic goals, many were looking for a better mindset. So my New Year's resolution is to uh, get out the house more. I'd say be more confident in myself, you know, be more comfortable in my skin. My New Year's resolution is to be more honest. Dream for bigger things and have bigger aspirations. Uh, I deleted TikTok. My New Year's resolution is to be a better person. Finally, I talked to an older teacher who had a lot of wisdom. New Year's resolution was not make any more New Year's resolutions that I couldn't teach. For the Quad Pod, this has been Owen Trainer.
Next, junior Gail Bailey with Kathy Fraley, head of Baylor's Counseling Center. Hi, I'm Gail Bailey. I'm a junior. I'm in the class of 2023. I'm Kathy Fraley. I'm the director of the Counseling Center. Um, I'm an LPC, and I have been at Baylor for 10 years now. Um, what made you want to pursue this field of like counseling teens and students here? Well, I always found myself um, being the listener in a friend group, and um, I'm also um, the youngest of eight. So I just always find that everyone needs somebody to talk to. And I think for some people, it's harder than for others to, to figure out who that is and who they feel comfortable with. And, um, you know, some people have no problem kind of knowing their place. Others struggle with that a little bit more. And I just um, think it's so important to validate for everyone that they um, belong somewhere and that they are just as important as the next person. And I just think that it's such a privilege to help um, young people figure that out um, on, on that journey. To, to be able to walk with them on that journey is, is a privilege and a gift. So what all does the Counseling Center like have to offer for students? Well, we have in the Counseling Center, we have five counselors. Um, in the upper school, we have three counselors, and in the middle school, we have two. And we um, are here to serve the students with social-emotional needs. And so we spend our time daily meeting with students on an individual basis just to talk about any concerns that they may have in regards to their mental health. So what are the most common challenges that students are facing today with their mental health? Well, we are certainly living in strange times. Um, and, you know, mental health has been concerning for, for all of us, certainly through this pandemic. But, but even before that, I think that, um, you know, young people have been facing a lot, of, um, a lot of issues with their mental health. And so common things that we see in the Counseling Center, um, anxiety, and that may be anxiety over friendships. It may be over what's happening in our world with the pandemic or um, the political environment or just uh, social connectedness or lack thereof. Um, we, you know, we do have kids who struggle with mood disorders and so maybe are, um, you know, struggling with some depression because of certain situations going on in their life or it may be something that they've always struggled with. I think we have students who are grieving again, um, you know, grieving um, what the pandemic has taken away or grieving um, what has been their sense of normalcy. And, you know, we talk also a lot just about um, what you would consider um, teenagers have on their minds every day, friendships, um, you know, my, my role in school, my role in my family, um, where I'm heading in my future, am I, you know, with the right group, am I involved in the right activities, all of those things that daily, um, that, that kids have on their minds. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I would like to ask you, like, have you noticed an increase in people um, coming in to see the Counseling Center since the COVID-19 pandemic began? Sure, I would say the answer to that is yes. We have we have seen an increase, um, and I think that probably um, you know is typical for for what all mental health providers are seeing um, right now. And as I said before, I think that um, students are they are thinking about um, how the pandemic has interrupted their daily lives. Um, I think our students have been extremely grateful to be here and to be in person. 
um, which I think has made a huge difference. But but I do think there have been other social situations that have been limited for for students, and that's hard because developmentally at this age, friends are the most important things mm-hmm. happening in your Definitely. life, right? And so I think that that has been really tough part of the pandemic. I think, you know, students are concerned about their own mental health, their own physical health, the health of their friends and family. And, you know, I do think a fair number of students um, have family situations that have been impacted by this pandemic. And um, while those are things that adults take care of and need to take care of, it still impacts students and they, you know, they feel a need and a responsibility to be able to help with that and sometimes um, it's not really within our control. Um, So some people might not always be comfortable talking to one of the guidance counselors maybe because they're strangers maybe you know they've never met maybe they've just you know talking isn't like their specific way of like dealing with what's going on in their minds so what would you suggest to a student who might not necessarily want to talk to the counseling center at first? Well, I think um, it can be scary, um, and it can can be a little nerve-wracking, certainly, um, if, if you um, haven't had experience with that. But what I would say is we do try to um, really engage students from the very beginning in the sense that, as I said before, we meet all students um, as they're freshmen or either if they're new to Baylor. Um, and we try to do that before there's hopefully a mental health need so that students understand that we have many supports here on our campus and that the Counseling Center is just one more um, regular part of that support system. But I would say for students who may not feel comfortable, um, I would hope that they um, would be willing to reach out maybe to an advisor or a teacher or a friend who might um, be willing to come to the counseling center with them. Um, You know, and outside of talking, there's lots of skills and strategies students can try, you know, like journaling, um, you know, physical activity, getting involved in a hobby. Um, There's a lot of really good online resources for meditations and relaxations and things like that. So um, lots of resources out there for self-care. What advice can you offer to anyone struggling with mental health? I guess the most important thing that I would say is to um, be kind to yourself and um, make sure that you allow yourself to place an emphasis on mental health and to take care of it just like you do with your physical health or just like you care for a friend if they're sick. Um, Next week, actually, we are celebrating Mental Health Awareness Week. And the goal of that is just to remind students that mental health is very important and it's a real thing. And we know that just like any other health issue, you have to figure out what works for you and and what helps. And so I would say make it a priority. Reach out to people to talk about how they um, take care of their mental health. Um, Make sure that you're comfortable, um, that you have somebody that you can be completely open with and share those things with and talk about it. Um, I think the more we talk about it, the more we decrease that stigma and the more comfortable people feel reaching out for help. Thank you so much for being here with me, for answering my questions. Thank you, I've enjoyed it as well. Speaking about reaching out, Bridger Nee and Henry Doring went out to the quad during Mental Health Awareness Week to talk to students about how they deal with stress. 
Here is their report. Long school days with tests, quizzes, and homework can leave students stressed. I'm feeling it, are you? Most definitely. So what do you do about it? A walk in the woods will always treat me right. For me, I would have to go with yoga. What do you think other students' stress relievers are? I'm not sure. Let's find out. Taking a nap. Sleeping. Uh, taking naps. Sleeping. A nap. A nap. Sleep. Sleeping. Sleep. Uh, sleeping. While lots of people like to sleep off their stress, many others find ways to distract themselves. Watching Netflix. TikTok. Movies. Watching TikTok. Playing video games. Play video games. FIFA. Fortnite. Instead of watching their favorite shows and playing their favorite games, others like to just jam out. That's Spotify. Listening to music. 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 Listening to music. 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 Listening to music. Yeah. Music. Pretending you're a rock star is a good way to get your mind off of things, but also trying to be your favorite athlete makes all the stress disappear. Working out. Sports. Riding my bike. Walking my dog. Riding bikes. A run. Working out. Wrestling. Working out. Riding my bike. Rock climbing. Running. Uh, sports. Walking. Sports. Riding my bike. Walk. While all of these are good stress relievers, nothing can beat a good meal. Eating some good food. Like eating. Eating. Ice cream. For the Quad Pod, this was Henry Deering and Bridger Nee. And now, senior Sheldon McKnight interviews Jennifer Averbeck about the Learning Center's mission for students on campus. I'm Sheldon McKnight, class of 2022. Hello, I'm Jennifer Averbeck, director of the Learning Center. This is my ninth year at the Baylor School. We'll start with the first question. What is Learning Center? The Learning Center, the Learning Center, I like to think of us as an academic hub where students can come and get support in any subject. Um, so that means anywhere from a ninth grader struggling in Algebra One to a senior maybe taking BC Calc or you know, a ninth grader perhaps encountering their first English essay and, and trying to figure out how to use the comma to you know, an upperclassman maybe working on a, a Faulkner essay on The Sound and the Fury. So we work with all, all levels of students. And I should clarify the Learning Center serves students in grades 6 through 12. In the middle school, we have a support team of three adults. And in the upper school, we're a team of six. Today, I'll probably be mostly focusing on the upper school learning center, as that's my experience over the course of the past nine years. Um, we're here really for the entire school community. And we serve our students in organization, time management, subject material. And, and everything in between. What impact do you think the Learning Center has on the students? We're meant to be a place where students can help at first just get acclimated to the school community, right? Baylor is a big place. We feel, I think the first time you step onto campus, you feel the magic of the place, but you also feel the, um, you feel that college campus fear perhaps um, as a new ninth grader that this place is big and I mean even if it's just walking around campus for that that first tour that you have there's a lot of nervousness that comes along with that so the learning center serves as a really great launching pad to just kind of help people feel comfortable um, you know how to use my Baylor how do you get acclimated to programs like Math Excel and Mimbean and um, even just ordering a textbook if you're a new international student, 
you know, there, there can be a lot of issues with figuring out how to get those textbooks ordered. So for the first few weeks, we're really just organizational help. And then we transition once students feel more comfortable, once students are juniors and seniors, we hope that eventually we kind of run ourselves out of business, right? We want students to be seeking extra help with their teachers. We want that connection to be happening one-on-one. -on -one. And I think for a lot of our students that pass through Baylor, that may be the amount of support that they need. But on top of that, you have this other location. You have um, an amazing in-house, really what's based on an, the older writing center model. A lot of colleges used to have writing centers and high schools as well. And, and we've taken that model, we've expanded it to the math and sciences. We see how much there's a need for math support to come in and practice a few math problems, to come in and, and talk about that lab report, or, or even from the history perspective, to think about ways that you can study the material for your history test or quiz. So we've, we've really expanded that. And what we have are uh, seven trained professionals in the upper school who can work on any given material at any point in time. The impact on the students is that you have the same faces 9th through 12th. You have one adult that cares about you and your experience on top of your advisors, on top of your teachers, but your teachers are shifting each year. You're taking a different class in, 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 from one semester to the next. But the Learning Center can kind of be the one steady constant in the academic experience throughout a student's progression at Baylor. Do you think that after the um, pandemic had started that it that affected the Learning Center like in a positive way, do you think maybe? Or because uh, maybe students needed more um, just support after coming back from such a long time out of school? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, one thing that shifted a lot in the Learning Center over the past few years, you're out for two weeks unexpectedly, 10 days, who, you know, whatever distance of time that at this point until you can test negative. And the Learning Center can be a really good spot for students to just start back and get the list of things that they're missing. That And, and I think teachers have been more than understanding about how to approach missing work we can say, hey, you know, you've just you've just popped back in. You've been on Zoom for two weeks. While we know, sure, Zoom is a helpful resource that has gotten us through part of this pandemic. We know the classroom is where we want to be. We all want to be here in person, and it's hard. I think it's there is some disconnect there with material, and if we can help teachers get their students back on track in the learning center, you you can come anytime throughout the day. So you might have that math teacher in a class you're struggling with and you've gone to extra help and you've gone to community time and there are multiple students also needing support present, but guess what, C period's free or your teacher's out for this or you've got that dropped PE period. And I think the Learning Center can be a really great resource for getting caught up in that aspect. Do you think that the Learning Center sort of serves as like a stress reliever, almost like counseling? Absolutely, yes. Uh, the Learning Center, we are in close contact with counseling all the time. Of course, there are many reasons to walk a student out of the Learning Center and towards counseling. But at the same time, the stress that I see most of our students experiencing happens a lot of times around academics. Um, 
you know, I, I know this from my own experience. When I was in high school, I thought I, I was I was probably not that great at math. However, I think my inner dialogue of telling me how how bad I was at math didn't help either. Um, so I think the Learning Center in a lot of ways can serve as a place to just say, look, you can do this. You are not, you know, you are not incapable of overcoming these challenges. And at some point throughout your four years at Baylor, if you're not a little bit stressed out academically, you're probably not taking classes that are challenging you enough. So I think it's not about removing the academic stress. It's about how we handle and how we cope with those stressors. And the Learning Center, in a lot of ways, similar to counseling, serves as a place for you to just kind of unload that stress, right? Come in and tell us, hey, I'm having a hard time. I, I bombed this math test and I'm upset about it. Okay, well, let's figure out what to do next. Um, do you have a specific favorite memory made in the Learning Center? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, so I think my favorite memory of, you know, from a professional standpoint, watching this program build has been amazing. We started in the basement of trustee. So we were in this room in the back corner that students would, you know, we were centrally located, but it was hard to find. And we were really set up more like an academic class. It wasn't a hub where students could come in and out. And I, I think one of one of the wonderful things about working at an institution that cares so much about the student experience is we came up with a little tweak each year. And almost every year, Baylor said, yes, let's try it, let's try it, let's keep going, keep moving forward. And, and when we moved to the new academic building, I felt like we were officially the program that we wanted to be and that we finally had this centrally located, you can grab a sandwich, pop in. I know things look a little bit different during the COVID years, but for the most part, we've been this space that anybody could pop in at any point in time. And we get a lot of students that are just kind of like, oh, what's happening in here? Um, how's, how's that going? So when you say my favorite memory, I think partially it's watching a program build, but it's also just people. I mean, it's really about watching the ninth grader shift to becoming a fully capable independent 12th grader. Like, that is the best part. Um, you know, I've seen some students that are a mess freshman year, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen them. And, and they do change, and they do mature, and the, the Baylor experience does work. Um, the high school experience works. And the most rewarding aspect of our job is getting to see that transition. During Mental Health Awareness Week, we had the distinct pleasure of hearing author and ultramarathon runner Dion Leonard speak. Before his chapel talk, he caught up with senior Gasson Carmichael to tell the remarkable story of how he overcame the despair of a rough childhood and unhealthy lifestyle to become an elite athlete, and how a chance encounter in the desert changed his life forever. Here is his story. I'm Gaston Carmichael, Baylor class of 2022, and today I'm with Dion Leonard. Mr. Leonard, um, for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm an author. Um, my book is called Finding Gobi. It's a true and amazing journey of how I met a stray dog running a race across the Gobi Desert in China. I'm also an ultra marathon runner. 
which means I run super long distance races, anywhere from 30 miles to the longest race that I've ever run is 240 miles. And I've run in some of the most extreme conditions across the most inhospitable locations around the world. And the running and the book sort of combined as I met Gobi, a stray dog in China, and that really sort of changed both of our lives forever. How do you think your childhood has helped lead to where you are today in your life? Well, it's a great question. It actually forms such a massive part of everyone's backbone, and it's a real roller coaster ride of uh, everyone has throughout life the highs and the lows. And I compare them to running an ultra marathon race. Uh, if you think about running 100 odd miles in the desert, there's many highs and there's many lows and you really don't know if you're ever going to make it to the finish line. And life's been a little bit like that for myself. I had a very difficult, depressive, uh, abusive childhood where I left the home at the age of 13 and was basically out on the streets of a small country town in the middle of Australia, putting myself through school, working cash jobs to put food on the table. And it was a very, very tough existence. Uh, the struggle was real. And I guess little did I know, though, that struggle and that uh, me being forced into that situation was going to make me a pretty tough character and a very determined and driven young man going forward. And, of course, all of those experiences in life, when you've had a really tough time, they come back to help you later on in life as well. So, you know, if you'd have told me as a 13-year-old boy that I'd be a New York Times bestselling author and... Uh, with a book that's now in 23 languages and being made into a f Hollywood film, I'd never have believed it. And I think that's the beauty of life as well, is you just never know where life can take you. Why do you run and what makes you keep running? Well, that's a good question too, because sometimes I ask myself the same question. Why do I bother running and why do I keep doing it? These races are extreme races, extreme conditions. Last year, I actually ran the Badwater 135, which is 135 miles through Death Valley in California. It's known as the world's toughest foot race. It was through the massive uh, heat dome that we had in July of last year as well, so it was baking hot. I think the temperatures were around 137 during the race. People, unfortunately, do die in some of these races that I do. So, you know, I'm pushing myself physically, but I'm really also pushing myself mentally as well. And the mental drive uh, has previously been using a lot of that fuel from my teenage years and those times when I was told I couldn't do anything, I couldn't achieve anything, I was a loser, I was never going to be anything. I've sort of used that as my fuel to drive me to, uh, you know, run these crazy long distances. It turns out I'm reasonably good at doing these races as well, so that's kind of a benefit as well. But um, for me, the running really helps me clear my mind and, and, and shows to me that I am capable of achieving great things out there as well. Can you tell us how uh, Gobi entered the picture and what she has meant to you thus far? Gobi joined me on day two of the race. There was uh, We were at the start line of the race and I, I'm about to set off to run a 26-mile stage over a big mountain range called the Tian Shan Mountains. And I'm thinking about the day ahead. I'm in third place overall for the race. Uh, I'm there to win the race. And uh, I look down and I see this dog chewing on my shoes and chewing on in particular what goes over the shoes to keep the sand out, which is known as a gator. 
probably your most important piece of kit when you're running in the sand is to try and keep the sand out of getting in between your toes to stop you getting blisters. So I'm pretty horrified when I see this dog chewing on these gaiters and I flick her off on my foot uh, from my foot and uh, she jumps back on there, starts chewing on them again. I flick her off again and she thinks it's a great game and I'm just thinking this is a pest of a dog. Like whose dog is this? Someone come and get it away from me. And the race starts and there's 101 runners there, including myself. So 100 runners are running down the trail ahead of me as I've still got this pesky dog attached to my foot. You know, in, in hindsight, it's, it's, it's hilarious and it's, uh, it, it was the moment Gobi decided that I was going to be hers. But for me, it really took a few days for that to sink in and it didn't really occur until day three when I made a decision through a... Uh, through a very important part of the race, uh, in terms of who was going to win the race overall, I decided to go back to carry Gobi across a uh, water crossing that she couldn't cross on her own. And the water had melted off the snow-capped mountains, so hot out in the desert, 125 degrees during the day. It created flooding, basically. Gobi couldn't run through the water herself. She'd have got washed away and drowned. So uh, I went back and I picked her up and it was the first time I touched her and it's the first time I really connected with her. And it would be that one sort of moment when I picked her up and put her in my arms. Uh, one act of kindness that would really change both of our lives forever. I fell in love with this dog and you know, had this bond with her that really would bring this sort of joy and heart warming moment to my life that was really missing as well so running has brought many different factors and and I mentioned earlier that I run on a lot of negative energy after I found Gobi and the race and uh, we've had our success and things moving forward I've, I really run races now a lot more happier not needing to go out there to do them for anyone else or to prove to anyone else I can do them so that's brought about a lot more fun when I go to races now as well. Gobi's changed my life uh, in a massive way. I've changed her life in a massive way. As we met in the race, you know, I really saw myself in Gobi. I saw myself as that 13-year-old boy with nothing and nobody to care for. Uh, Gobi was exactly the same. She's a stray dog. She's living in the desert. She didn't have anybody there for her. Goodness knows what she was doing out there, what she was surviving on. So when I sort of connected the dots that this is me, <laughs> uh, you know, as a younger boy, and um, I sort of felt a lot more for Gobi, realizing that I wanted to do something kind for Gobi and give her a better life and, uh, and be there for her, much like, of course, what I wanted when I was younger. Finally, seniors Holden Williams and Hannah Turner discuss how laughter, friends, family, and a resilient do-or-die mindset helped Hannah successfully navigate a difficult cancer diagnosis before landing, gratefully, back on campus for her senior year. I'm Holden Williams, class of 2022. And I'm Hannah Turner, class of 2022. So tell me a little bit about yourself, like you're, where you're from, you have any siblings? Um, I'm from Chattanooga, and I have one brother, Wavy Davy. He graduated from Baylor in 2020. 
So what happened last year? Uh, last year, I was re-diagnosed with cancer in June, and I underwent a stem cell transplant, which is basically where they take a donor's bone marrow and they put it into your body after destroying all of your own bone marrow. And it makes, so my new immune system is that man's immune system. So how did the people around you react? Or how did you wish that they reacted? I think everyone reacts in their own way. And I can't really say I wish people reacted differently because I don't know how I'd react if someone told me that. I mean, being the person telling someone that, I feel like it's a lot easier than being the person having to react. But my friends who stuck by me were great, and they still are. Like, I'll never forget them. And my family, I had previously been diagnosed in 2017, so they kind of knew how to react, I guess. But I think everyone reacted the best to their own abilities. So how did it did it affect your work at school? I only took three classes last year. So I had a really light load and I was out for months on end. Like I was out for two, three months straight. So I had to make up a bunch of work, but overall it was, school was like a nice distraction from it all. So the teachers were really supportive and Oh yeah, they were great. And the Learning Center really helped me because I was able to zoom in and get help with math when I needed it. So what kept you going or helped you in recovery, would you say? I just knew I had to do it. I was just like, I don't really have an option. It's like recover or die, literally. So I decided I didn't want to die and I just didn't. I mean, it's it was a mental game for me. And my doctors always said that, like, you're mentally, if you're mentally wanting to do this and being strong, like, you'll be fine. And I fully believe that. Did you turn to anything like music or art in that time, just with, like you said, with a bit of distraction? Um, when I wasn't doing school, I was sleeping, so I did a lot of that. But just being with my family and, like, laughing, that's mainly what I turned to. So what do you think the hardest part of this whole journey was for you? That's a tough question. I think kind of like losing who you are as a person because it completely changes your life and you're no longer the person you used to be. And having to, having to find the new person you are is like really difficult. And I think that was probably the hardest part. So if you think it changed you as a person, did it affect your view on life at all? No, not really. Because, like, this is my life. And it did change me as a person. But I'm kind of used to it, I guess. Because I got diagnosed when I was 14 and then re-diagnosed at 17. So you were diagnosed in 2017 and then you were re-diagnosed in 2020. How did you feel when they told you the news? I remember my doctor walking in and I saw his eyes and I immediately knew. I was like, damn it, that sucks for me because I just grew my hair back out and I, 
I literally just looked at him and I was like, my hair. And he was like, yeah, it's pretty, but sorry. And I was like, okay. I, I didn't cry either time. I just immediately was like, okay, what do we do? Like, what's the next step? And that's when they told me like stem cell transplants are your best bet. So how did the second round of chemo go through with the COVID pandemic? It was a lot scarier than the first time I did treatment because having no immune system, if and they couldn't reactivate my immune system after my stem cell transplant because they didn't want the bone marrow to reject and I would have to go through it again, which wouldn't have been as successful. Um, they knew that if I got sick, they couldn't do anything to help me. I, my body without an immune system would have just had to fight it itself, which probably wouldn't work because there's nothing to fight it with. So it was definitely scary. Um, I think I really learned how to be one of the cleanest people on earth. I know how to clean things better than anyone else I know because germs were really my biggest enemy at that point. So you mentioned um, having to lose your hair again. What was that like of like seeing that growth and then having to lose it again? The first time I lost my hair was horrible. It was so awful and I was so upset. And I shaved my own head. My brother actually did it and we did it in our backyard and my mom was so mad. She was like, let's go get it done. And I was like, too late. And, I, and she saw me and she was just like, oh my God. It was really poorly done too. And then this last time was easier because I, I knew it was coming and I knew like what it would look like. So I just remember looking at my mom and I was like, hey, I'm gonna shave my head. And I was sitting in the hospital and she was like, okay. And I just sat there and there was something very therapeutic about it. I understand why people shave their heads. I would never do it again, ever, but it's, it had to have been a sight to see just this 17-year-old sitting in a hospital room in a chair just shaving her head and listening to music like it was normal. Do you think you learned any lessons along this journey? <laughs> don't think, like, don't take things too seriously. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Uh, what would be some advice you would give to someone who's going through something hard right now? Don't take it out on other people. Be nice to the people who are surrounding you. Despite the challenges students inevitably face along the path to graduation, there are many support systems here at Baylor to help guide us, from the counseling office to the learning center, not to mention the many caring teachers, staff, and friends on campus who are willing to drop what they are doing and talk. Special thanks to Dion Leonard, Kathy Fraley, Jennifer Averbeck, and Hannah Turner for sharing their time with us. And to our listeners, we appreciate your support. We'll be back soon with another episode. 
for the Quad Pod. This has been Liz Cortez. And Will Duncan. <laughs>